the title of my message tonight is basically point four of what I preached last week. I did point one, two, and three uh, because I promise I get to point four. But point four actually was really always meant to be a standalone point. But uh, let me just say this to echo Pastor Phil is you are actually meant to have a supernatural edge. You, you, you actually, as the sons and daughters of God, the Bible says that all creation has been eagerly anticipating, in fact, groaning as with birth pangs for the revealing, the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. And as though, as though the world, as though the creation will be able to see a distinction between humans and the children of God. And I want you to know that you can live in such a way that it almost seems unfair when you're competing for contracts. It almost seems unfair when you're going into the marketplace because you have everything that Pastor Phil was talking about there, the prophetic, the filling of the Holy Ghost. Let me just say this because maybe somebody needs to hear this. God doesn't fill you with the Holy Spirit to make you weird and irrelevant. Although that seems to be the... <laughs> anyway, and... Uh, God fills you with the Holy Spirit to make you supernatural and powerful. God fills you with the Holy Spirit to make you supernatural and powerful. The Word of God, the Word of God that fashioned the heavens and the earth. That's why it's a universe. Uni one verse word because one God spoke one word and the universe exists. The entire universe. That's why Jesus could stand on a boat and say, peace, be still, and the wind and the sea obeyed him because it was the same word that said, let there be, and there was, in Genesis, was now the same. And the world recognized the word when it, when it was spoken. And can I just tell you, as sons and daughters of God, you and I were created to be the vice regents of God. You and I were created to be the sons and daughters of God, the ambassadors of God. The problem is we have substituted his word for other words. Very, very first uh, introduction of the devil, has God really said? Because he knew that you, with God's word in your mouth, would defeat him every time. He would be under your feet. But he knew if he could just extract the word of God from your mouth, put a different word in there, well, then he had a chance to take down man and steal the authority over the earth. And that's unfortunately what happened. So come with me in your Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 1. The book of Joshua chapter 1. Last week I began this message called Connect 4. I got through point 1, point 2, point 3. But today we're going to get to point 4. Point 1 was uh, connect to your life tribe. That, that, that life moves at the speed of relationship. That you and I need to, to be connected to other people. If you're not connected to other people, you can end up being one of those weird Christians. You know, the weird Christians where you can't have a conversation with them. You know, hey, do you like steak? Oh, the kingdom is not a matter of food and drink, my brother. <laughs> hey, we're going to go for a jog. You want to come jogging with us? Bodily exercise profits a little. If you're one of those people, stop it. You need to be around other people. Now, you may say, well, hang on. Other people jack me out. Other people give me a really hard... That's good for you. That's good for you because, because the church was never meant to be perfect. If it was perfect, God wouldn't be perfecting it. 
the church is being perfected, which means it's imperfect. That's why the Bible says fixing our eyes on Jesus, the only perfect one. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we're meant to put our eyes on Jesus. But it's amazing when we get that upside down, when we take our eyes off Jesus and put it on the church, well, then you have all these people who have left church because of its imperfection. Well, the pastor didn't say hello. The pastor did say hello. The pastor did this. The pastor didn't do that. Somebody in the choir left me off the roster. Somebody in the foyer did this. They, they gave me a coffee and it was cold. You know, and there's, there's all these reasons. You know, it's like, we, we, you know, we, we thought the church was going to be, the church is meant to be imperfect. And God uses the imperfection of the church to perfect each other. Just like I was sharing last week how uh, one of our family members, Mike, uh, leaves his wet wetsuits on the outside wooden dining table, which unfortunately leaves salt water stains in the wood. And so somebody had to go down to Home Depot and ask, how do I do this before I cop another beating from my bride? And, uh, and the gentleman there, thank God for Home Depot employees, because they know everything about everything. Just ask them. Anyway, and so, uh, so this guy, he says, what you need is, uh, do you have an orbital sander? And I do for surfboard repairs. And he says, well, you take that and you put this, this sandpaper in there, and it's going to not just get rid of the, the stains, but it'll also give it a real smooth finish. And I've got to tell you, it was really rough. I'm like, whoa, you could take your fi fingerprints off with that stuff. And, you know, Paul does that on a regular basis. That's why he's so prosperous. And uh, <laughs> no, but you could take your, you know, and he said, yeah. He says, the rougher the sandpaper, the smoother the finish. The rougher the sand. Now, there are people in church who are going to rub you up the wrong way. It's just God trying to make you smooth. Because I would, I would never have to learn about forbearance which is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, unless there was stuff they had to forbear. I'd, ne I'd never have to learn what long-suffering, uh, modern translation is patience, but it, previously it was translated long-suffering. We wouldn't develop the long-suffering skill sets or muscles unless there were people that turn up an hour early with a gallon of milk and then lay on your sofa. And I have this beautiful disciple of my brides called Michaela Hubbard, who is calling saying, do you think God would look away for a moment, just one moment, while I murder? And, and we're like, no, Kayla, Kayla. But God will use the imperfection of others to bring perfect to you. A lot of people say, well, you know, um, you know I got hurt in church. I got hurt snowboarding. Still love it. I got food poisoning in a restaurant. Still eat out. I tore my ACL surfing. Love surfing. In fact, I don't know if there's anything in life worth doing where you're not going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. There are things. So, so don't quit on, remember, lift your eyes, put it on Jesus. Jesus is the perfect one. God uses the imperfection. Anyway, so I don't have time to re-preach. I don't know why I'm doing that. I don't have enough time as it is. So come with now. Jump now. To point number four, so whatever the other two points were, point number four is connect to kingdom success. Connect to kingdom success. Joshua 1 verse 8. Joshua 1 verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way 
Come on, somebody. Then you will make your way and you will have good success. I love that because this is, this is God speaking to Joshua. For the last 40 years, Joshua has been serving the miracle man. Moses was the miracle man. He was the man. He had a miracle stick that, that did miracles. He rocks down to Egypt for 430 years. Israel have been in bondage in chains, slaves in Egypt. And then this guy turns up with his stick. Moses, he breaks the grip, breaks, breaks the power of Pharaoh and delivers them with a mighty hand. When they get out into the, into the wilderness, they come to the Red Sea and it's an impasse in front of them. On the other side of the horizon is the promised land, but they, 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 they come up and they're like, did, did God not think this through? Where's the leader? Did you not think that, do you not have a GPS? Could you not have Google Maps this thing? And Moses is trying to explain, we don't have Google Maps yet. And they're like, well, you know, and so why don't we choose another leader and go back to Egypt because the, the ground is rumbling and the Egyptians are chasing them. And Moses cries out to God and God says, why do you cry to me? Tell the people to move forward, take the stick and part the sea. Now, obviously Moses doesn't have a dope moment, of course. <laughs> why didn't I think of, God, I mean... What this does, what so he and the sea opens up. You know, the story the Israelites go through on dry ground. Because let me just say this in C3, we don't believe in miracles, we depend on them. We don't believe in miracles, we depend on them. When you're in the middle of God's will, nothing can stop you. When you're in the middle of God's will, so because this was God's will, it was God's bill. Because it was God's will, it was God's bill. So all he had to do was stretch out the staff, the Red Sea opens. The children of Israel go through on dry ground, looking at walls of water with fish swimming by. Man, this is freaky. They get to the other side. When the last Israelite takes his foot out and steps onto the dry land, Pharaoh had already commanded his army and his chariots to go in. That's why water baptism is so powerful. Because when you get saved, it's amazing how the devil that once had you in bondage to this addiction, to that, to that uh, issue and to that struggle and to that inferiority and to that way of thinking comes after you trying to pull you back into your old life. Baptism is so powerful because it's a picture of the Red Sea. When they come up out of the other side, everything that was pursuing them from their past was drowned in that Red Sea was left in that Red Sea. They watched for the next 40 years as this man with a stick brought river out of a rock. There's no, there's no water or food in a, in a desert because God was trying to show the children of Israel it's not what's in your pocket and it's not what's in your bank account. It's what's in your relationship. It's what in, what's in heaven, that you have a father in heaven who is watching over you, who can provide for you. For 40 years, there was provision. Now Joshua has to take over. And Joshua's like, where's my magic stick? And God's like, no stick for you. No stick for you. It's like, come on. And God says, no, I want you to meditate. This is the context. The context is, I want you to meditate in my word day and night. Do not let it depart from your mouth. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. This is in there because Joshua, Yeshua, Savior is a shadow and a type of the new covenant. Moses is the old covenant law. The old covenant law was, was interventive miracles. 
every miracle God did in the wilderness was, was for their, their uh, sustenance. Every miracle was for their survival. But Joshua was going to cross the Jordan into the promised land where every miracle was for their advancement. Every miracle with Joshua was for their advancement. This one had a stick that provided, that brought forth miracles for their provision. This guy had the word in his mouth. This guy had the word. He says, do not let the word depart from your mouth, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. I want you to know that God wants to increase you. God wants to, God wants to bless you. Now, let me just say this. Uh, the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is powerful. When it comes to prosperity, I, I don't apologize for it. A lot of people try and put us, you know, bad Yelp reviews and all that kind of stuff. He's a Joel Osteen preacher preaching prosperity. Like, it's a prosperity gospel. You know, he's just, you know, blab it and grab it, confess it, possess it, you know, whatever. I read from Genesis to Revelation, and God wants to... God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. In fact, let me, let me just show you something. In Genesis 1, Genesis 1, the Bible says, And God blessed man and said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, exercise dominion over everything I've created. So in Genesis 1, God blesses man. But watch this. In Genesis 3, when man sins, God curses the ground. So, so the context of life on this planet is blessing from heaven on man, trying to, trying to advance with ground that is cursed. God says God couldn't curse Adam because he'd already blessed him. So he had to curse the ground. So he said, cursed be the ground for your sake. Out of the sweat of your brow, out of the toil of your labor, the earth will yield to you its increase. Thorns and thistles it will produce. That's why we, we unapologetically preach on tithing. Because the Bible says, when, when, I, when I bring the tithe, God says, test me when you bring the tithe. He doesn't say, I'll, I'll, I'll fix up the ground. He says, when you bring the tithe into the storehouse, test me if I'll not throw open the windows of heaven. You know what's not cursed? The windows of heaven. You know what the, what the, the world governments can't tax? The windows of heaven. He says, test me now if this if I'll not throw open the windows of heaven and rain down, pour down so much blessing that there's not room enough to contain it. So rather than you just having to work harder or strive harder or you know, go to a Tony Robbins seminar... Unleash the giant within. Walk on hot coals. <laughs> Where you've got to be pumped and motivated, and it's all about you just trying to exert more energy on, on a ground that is cursed. Instead, you can walk in a, a step into a dimension where the windows of heaven are open, and it's man contracts are coming and opportunities are coming and doors are opening. You couldn't open that door. You couldn't get that. But, but God is supernaturally on your side. So you need to understand point number one, the word works. The word works. Success is in God's word. All the way through the Bible, the Bible says, especially if you read the opening stanza in Genesis, and God said, and it was so. And God said, let there be a firmament, and it was so. Then God said, let dry land it, and it was so. Then God said, and it was so. Then God said, and it was so. Then God said, and it was so. For Adam to come to a place where has God really said, whew. The, 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 devil, the devil had 
seen the pattern. He'd observed the pattern. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. But he was trying to take, take God's kid away. When you build your life on the word of God, the Bible says Abraham believed the word of God and it put a baby in the barren womb of Sarai. Peter believed the word of God and he stepped out of a boat and walked on water. Moses believed the word. Jacob believed a word. Elijah believed every miracle had a genesis, had a beginning, and it was always the word of God. Every breakthrough in your life will be preceded by a word. That's why I love that video by Pastor Phil, because he's saying that we can take this word and put it in our mouth, lock and load, and shoot it into your future. Because let me just tell you, the whole universe stands at attention to the word of God. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word endureth forever. The only thing that God watches over to perform is his word. Jeremiah says that God watches over his word to perform it. When you shoot the word of God out, you better believe God now has a landing target. Whenever you see those guys with the clay pigeons, release. Now they know what to hit. Release. Now they know what to hit. That's the same as the word of God. God is just waiting for you to release the word so his power has a target. Power has a target. Power has a target. God watches over his word to perform it. How much of the word is in your life? I remember, uh, I, remember uh, I was putting gas in the car and there was a, there was a, a beautiful Chinese-looking lady and she was going through, through the trash can. I felt so, so much compassion. And the day before, a couple of days before, I'd gone to uh, my bank account and pulled out some cash and I looked in my wallet and I think I had like $220 and I, I folded it up and I went over and I said, sweetheart, sweetheart, here, God bless you. And she says, oh, no, no, no. Um, this is not for me. We do this for our church. I said, what? Oh, yeah, the pastor, he, uh, we, we belong to a Chinese church. Uh, we all do this. We correct uh, aluminum can. And then about uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, Leanne and I were sitting at Mostra Coffee, and there was a gentleman, also Asian, going through the trash cans, collecting cans. Because how many people know that when God came up with the idea of the church, didn't think it through? I mean, it's a brilliant idea. I'll build the church, Gabriel, and it'll be like the ark, but in the New Testament, it'll save people from it. It'll be brilliant. How are we going to fund it? Oh, uh, I didn't think that far ahead. Um, uh, Can they just scrummage for... Can I just tell you... that God put the minerals in the ground. God put the oil, the gold, the silver, the jewels, the, the ta- everything in the ground is not there for the wicked to exploit. Now, obviously, motivated by greed, they are much more zealous at getting their hands on it. But my Bible says in Deuteronomy 8.18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that we may establish his covenants in the earth. We may establish his covenants in the earth. One of the, one of the top realtors in Australia, I think for four, uh, in uh, San Diego, for 40 years, he's been like the number one real estate guy in San Diego. He's done over, I think, $2 billion in real estate sales. Was telling me how uh, he was going, attending a different church, how he was in church and the pastor was berating rich, wealth, wealthy people, 
you know, people who have money and people who are rich, woe to you, misery, misery, all this kind of stuff. As they're driving out of church, he has five kids and his eldest son was 15 and his eldest son's sitting in the back and he says, Dad, can I ask you a question? He's like, sure, son. And his son said, Dad, are, are we bad people? And he said, why would you say that? He said, well, you know what pastor was saying about being rich and Dad, I, we're rich, aren't we? The dad felt so bad. What was really sad was the next day, the same pastor who was berating money and wealth and rich people the day before calls this pastor, uh, calls this uh, realtor crying, saying, we don't know if we're going to be able to make it. We don't know if we're going to be able to keep the doors open and make payroll. Is there any chance you could write a check for $100,000? Sunday, he wants to beat the people. And then Monday, he wants to beg from some of the people that... In this church, you need to understand, Jesus, this 38 parables, 17 are about money. Almost half the parables is around finance. Why is that? Because Jesus didn't say you can't serve God and the devil. He didn't say you can't serve God and self. Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and mammon. So the church... In its immaturity, said, "Aha! Uh-huh. Well, you can't serve God and Mammon. So what I'm going to do is I'll serve God, but I have nothing to do with Mammon. I have nothing to do with Mammon. But how many people know when you go to McDonald's, you can't supersize Jack and say, I got no Mammon, but I'll pray for you. Hey, I got a little tract. You ain't, you ain't living with that. SDG&E don't send you a survey saying, if you're a Christian, fill this out because we're going to give you free electricity. <laughs> so, so obviously we can't do without this money thing. Jesus didn't say don't have money. He just said, don't let it be your master. So the place, the place for money is money is always meant to be your servant. Just as you are God's servant, money is meant to be your servant, not your master. Now, how do you know if money is your servant or if it's your master? It's very, very simple. A master tells the servant what to do. A servant obeys the voice of the master. So you, usually you'll find that when we talk about the offering, that mammon has a voice. Don't listen to anything he's saying. I don't even think tithing's New Testament. It's Old Testament. It's legalism. You don't got to give timbers. Don't give anything. You need me. We're going out after this. Hey, you got these bills coming up. Don't forget you got these. And all of a sudden money starts talking to you. See, a lot of people look at the rich young. What about the rich young ruler? Jesus told him, sell everything. See, Jesus wants us to have nothing. I don't know how you got that from that story. Nowhere did Jesus say have nothing. He just said give everything. Because let me tell you, the Bible says the rich young ruler had great riches. Jesus exposed it. He says, one thing you lack. You think you got money? Money's got you. Because whatever you can't give, you don't own. It owns you. If you have something and you can't give it, give it away, give it away. If you can't give it, you don't own it. It owns you. It came to pass the Lord tested Abraham. Take now your son, your only son, 
Isaac, whom you love, and offer him. I want to know, has this thing flipped? So God, God, will, God wants to get more to you, but he just doesn't want to set you up for idolatry. So God will always, te- the test with, with, with Abraham wasn't for one son. The promise was never one son. But God says, has this one son eclipsed? Can you, can you give what is most dear and precious to you? I want to know where, where is ownership, where is lordship in this thing? When Abraham put his boy, he says, now I know. The Bible says God tested. We only ever live in one of two states, a test or a trust. Right now, you're either in a test or in a trust. And if you're in a trust, get ready because God will test you, not because he wants to fail you, but he wants to promote you. He's always trying to elevate you. He's always trying to take you to, he's just looking, is there anybody I can trust with billions of dollars? Is there anybody I can trust with hundreds? Is there anybody I can trust that will not let the wealth and all its entrapments and all of its accompaniments and its accoutrements, is there anybody that I can give this stuff to who will put me first, who will not become slave, who will not become subject to this? God wants you to prosper. He wants you to flourish. But you, number two, you've got to give yourself both permission and then understand that there is a power to prosper. God doesn't just give you permission, permission, say, okay, go ahead and prosper, but don't expect me to be with you. The Bible says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. In this church, we want to empower people to go after it. Now, a lot of people say this. They say, well, hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I hear you. I hear you pastor, Mr. Prosperity Preacher. What I want to know is how much is too much, pastor? Like a big house, a bigger house, you know, a nice car, a luxury car, a boat, a yacht. How much is too much, pastor? And if I was honest with you, it's a brilliant question. And I've kind of had answers, but this year at Hillsong Conference, Pastor Bill Johnson from Bethel Church was preaching. And he got up and he started talking about God's will is for you to, to be blessed. And then he, he made the statement. He says, but a lot of people say, how much is too much? And so I went, okay, I'm leading in. How do you answer that? And he goes, it's really simple. I'm like, oh, come on, give it to me. He says, whatever number replaces trust. Whatever number replaces trust. For some people, it's 10 bucks. Great, don't have to trust God now. 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, whatever number replaces trust. That's why God tested Abraham. Do you still trust me or are you? That, that, that's, that's why you have no idea what a blessing it is to belong to a church that constantly has that uncomfortable, difficult, they're preaching about tithes, they're preaching about offerings, oh my gosh, and then comes vision builders. It's such a good thing because it means that you're never in a place where you're not trusting God. I always want to trust God. God. If God can get it through you, He'll get it to you. He's always looking to get it through. You've got to give yourself permission. When we started the church, you've got to finish, you've got to land this thing. When we started the church, uh, remember we used to meet at Compass Point Apartments where pa- Pastor Mark and Summer used to live. We used to have these prayer meetings on a Wednesday night. And uh, I'll never forget it, one of the prayer meetings. At that time we were meeting at Carmel Valley Middle School. We still hadn't bought this building yet. And, and this beautiful, well-meaning gentleman came up, Pastor Andrew, and he grabbed me and he said, uh, he said, hey, Pastor, I want you to know I'm, I'm praying for millionaires. I'm praying that millionaires join this church. I, you know, I just love our church and I think everybody needs to hear and we've got to get out of the middle school and we've got to get our own building. So I'm going to pray for millionaires. And as he said, it was really kind and really nice. And then, but I just couldn't get this 
It was, it was like I just drank vinegar, like in my spirit, like, oh, what, what? So I'm like, God, what's wrong? And then God said to me, you're not. I forbid you to pray for millionaires to join your church. He says, your assignment is to raise them. Your assignment is to raise millionaires. So he says, I need you, I need you to look in, into this word. I need you to look into this word because if you can teach them to meditate in this word and do not let it depart from their mouth, but meditate in it day and night, then they'll make their way, their way prosperous and they'll have good success. They'll have good success. So it's amazing how many people we've seen begin to flourish. That's why we do Pathfinders. That's why we do it. That's why we, we, we do marketplace engagement. The Bible says about King David, it says that the people that came to King David when he was on the run from Saul, David was the anointed successor to the throne of Israel, but Saul wanted to hold on. And he wanted to eliminate the succession plan of God. He thought, if I can eliminate David, then I can hold on to this thing. So he sends these assassins into the countryside. So David has to hide in a cave. Well, the Bible says that the same spirit that chases out giant slayers is the same spirit that loses great leaders. Because the Bible says from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul's tribe, came to David men who were in debt, in despair and in distress. And the Bible says because they were with David, within a few short years, these became his mighty men. Benaiah, who lifted his spear in one battle and slew 300 men. He slipped and fell into a pit on a snowy day. The snow was, was, was slippery on the ground. And he slipped and it was a pit where they trap animals. And as he hits the bottom, he looks up and two yellow eyes come out of the darkness and he's in a pit with a lion. The lion has been in the pit for several days. It is hungry. And the Bible says he kills the lion in a pit on a snowy day and he, he climbs out, dragging its carcass out. The Bible says he, he fought a, an Egyptian nine feet tall and there was no spear in his hand, but he wrested the spear off the giant Egyptian and slew him with his own spear. But yet Benaiah didn't even make the first three of the 30, but he was captain over the second 30. It talks about Dodo the Ahohite who stood in the field of lentils when all Israel had fled. That's like, come on, it's just lentils. But he says, uh-uh, this is not lentils, it's principle. This doesn't belong to the Philistines, it belongs to God. And he unsheathed his sword and he took on an entire a garrison of Philistines and the Lord brought about a victory with it. The, the, the Bible talks about these men and you read it in 1 Chronicles 11. It's inspiring. But these were the same men that came to David in debt, in despair and in distress. And the Bible says these men could throw the spear with the right hand and with the left. There was an ambidextrous about them. And God said to me, that's, that's people who are marketplace bosses and ministry bosses. They're Lance Williamses. There are Lance Williams who can dominate in the marketplace. He just got a promotion in the marketplace. They made him like a manager over an entire region because he dominates in the marketplace. But you better believe it. We have testimony after testimony of people that were healed and delivered and set free because of the ministry of a Lance because he can throw the spear with the right hand and with the left. We got a Dr. Matt Hubbard. We've got life on fire. We've got this front row of people that can throw the spear with the right hand and with the left. We're raising up mighty men. When you come into the house of God, this is the house of transformation. Don't let the, the devil and don't let the spirit of religion rob you that somehow you shouldn't prosper. 
that you shouldn't advance. Now listen to me. The great lie of the devil is this, that you, you, you shouldn't increase, you shouldn't flourish, you shouldn't prosper. You should have just enough. Just enough and no more. Do you know, nowhere through the Bible do, do you see just enough. When blind Bartimaeus came to Jesus and he couldn't see, Jesus didn't heal one eye. Just that one. That's, it's just enough. Jesus didn't give him black and white. Well, I'm not giving you full color. Do you even need it? Nowhere in the Bible does God do a just enough miracle. Nowhere. But yet we've believed the lie from the devil that somehow it's godly to have just enough. But watch this. Watch how wicked it is. Next time someone tells you, I don't, I don't like your pastor. He says that prosperity preaching Joel Osteen, Australian guy. I don't like him. I believe you shouldn't prosper. You should have just enough. Just say, let them finish and then say, just enough for who? Well, um, well, you know, just enough for yourself. Oh, I see. I get it now. Just enough for you, you miserly little selfish. Just enough for you. Just enough. The Bible says that we're blessed to be a blessing. God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. God wants you to be the head, not the tail, above only, not beneath. Blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed going in, blessed going out. God wants you to flourish. Why? So that you can be a blessing. The apostle Paul says so you can give to every good work. You, God wants to set you up so you got more than enough. More than enough to be a great husband, to be a great father, to be a great provider, to be a boss in the marketplace, but for you to be able to write a check here and do that. You know, we just, we just closed on 160 acres that's called Emerge Ranch out there in Campo. My son, my oldest son went through a seven-year addiction to drugs. Three times the devil tried to take his life. And this, year, this, this last week, I got a phone call from the gentleman who is the, the head of Genesis Recovery that literally saved Jordan's life. And he says, man, we have 117 people on a waiting list. We have more addicts than we have beds. We have more people in need than we have facilities. And I said, his name's Tommy Hathorne. I said, Tommy, I said, you need to understand that one of our visions is that on this 160 acres, we're going to put a drug rehabilitation. I said, not only that, but we want to put, we want to put a home where the, the, the young girls and the young boys who have been trafficked in human trafficking, that they can come and they can be delivered, they can be healed, they can be trained, they can be saved. Do you know how that happens? It happens with God blessing His people and you having the joy to participate in the miracle, writing a check, sewing a, a miracle. 
knowing that as you give, it'll be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to flourish. God wants you to increase. There's a city called San Diego that needs saving. There's a, there's a devil out there trying to destroy, but there's a God who's waiting for a church to rise up, to push back the powers of darkness, to overturn the wheels of injustice, to bring liberty, to bring freedom and deliverance. Oh, go ahead. Come on. Give God a praise. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 